Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that are going to allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over 50 million pounds worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this evening's podcast interview. Got a brilliant guest for you tonight, so super excited. The last couple of ones we've done haven't been completely live, but we are completely live tonight. And literally, I've got a, a chap on tonight who's been in business or started a business when he was in uni, 12 or 13 years ago. And he took that business and built it up on YouTube to over 2.4 million subscribers. So he's used YouTube as a platform to get his business out there and gone and monetized it afterwards. I've had a backstage chat with uh, with Ben just a moment ago, and he was telling me some really cool stuff. And he's really open and, and really open to telling everyone about his journey. And he wants to talk about really how you as an individual can go and grow your social media and get great results. I think it's a great opportunity for you to pick the brains of somebody that's mastered YouTube, built a business and, you know, a long sustaining business being that he's been in business now for literally 13 years and created some great results, all driven through social media, which is what I love. And welcome, Ben. So Ben Everall, how are we doing, buddy, from Sorted Food? Great to see you. Yeah, great. Nice to be here. Yeah, super excited to have a great chat tonight, Ben. So, you know, what I like to do when we start off is just hear a little bit about your journey, really, your story. Obviously, I've given the introduction there that you started the business off and you started to build the business up from really from uni. And you've gone on after that to go and grow it to this massive thing on YouTube. We've got 2.4 million subscribers, which I think is awesome. And I know my audience is going to want to hear plenty about. So I'm here to, you know, pick the brain tonight and, and hear how you've done that. Because I think it'd be super Super interesting to the audience. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit how it started? How did Sorted Food come to be what it is today? We'll take it from there, buddy. Super excited to hear from you tonight. Yeah, sure. So in, in a nutshell, what you see as a brand, what you see on screen actually goes back 22 years. We all knew each other from school, myself and the fellow co-founders. And we went to school, we grew up together. Um, we have that kind of back history and authenticity. But Sorted Food started when we went to university. So we did different universities, different courses between us, had a different specialism in different things. But one common ground was that when people go to university, there are struggles in life, everyday things that suddenly get thrown into the real world and you struggle with. And food was one of those for most of our group. And I was training to be a chef. And actually, that's kind of where Sporty Food started was how do you simplify food? And at the time, it was how do you make food for students by students? We were just like, cut the rubbish, forget looking at all the pretense around food. How do I survive on minimal budget, simple, tasty food that's going to impress and is really easy? And we actually did a self-published cookbook, was our first venture, and because we realized that it was more than just those of us sat around a pub table. I was scribbling recipes literally on the back of a beer mat and saying, look, if I can fit it on a beer mat, it's easy enough for you to do. And, and we grew from there, did a cookbook, and we literally printed a whole bunch of cookbooks sort of in the very, very first year, had them in the shed, 
And they were like, well, how on earth do we market them? And we tried to make some videos, some content for social media. And YouTube at the time was this free platform. It still is published content to. And we gave it a go. And that was literally it. It was a group of friends trying to talk about something that we all struggled with, but we could all help each other with. And fast forward 10, 12 years, and now that YouTube community is one of the leading food and cooking communities in the world. And we don't think of it as like a anything more than a community in a bubbling place where this food conversation happens. And it's our job to curate and conduct that conversation and produce content every single week. And, that, and that's that's where we're at. So it was a group of friends and very much a happy accident um, that we started using a platform that really enabled us to showcase what we do. Awesome. That is awesome. When you went out and you first launched it, a lot of people, when they first start out and they start out using social media, especially, and I know you started 12, 13 years ago now, um, so it might be slightly different. But even when we were speaking backstages, you were saying how many changes that you've seen. And obviously, I've been using social media, especially Facebook, since 2008 to grow businesses. And things have changed. But when you went and first put that content out and you weren't getting the engagement, you weren't getting seen, um, and you weren't really receiving it blowing up, you know, did that ever put you off? Was that something that held you back? Or were you just like, you know what, we're, we're not really doing it for this purpose of making loads of money. We're doing it to try and help people. And did that make a difference? Was that, you know, reading between the lines, it sounds a bit like that, really. Yeah, I mean, at the start, we all presumed we'd go on to get proper jobs. And, and actually, this cookbook that we made was just a way of almost adding something to our CV that other people wouldn't have. But it was only over time that we realized there was a real demand for it and we wanted to carry on. But I think you can't ever go out aiming to make a viral video. To be honest, we've we've published over 1,500 videos on YouTube, and we have never gone viral. But in 10, 12 years, we have steadily grown this authentic audience who want to be there, want to spend time helping us shape content as we watch it. And that's more valuable than, than suddenly getting a million views overnight, because actually that doesn't necessarily help you find a mission, find something you believe in and stick to that as you create content. And you're right, it'll be slow at start. I remember the first few was, you know, we knew that our mates were watching it. We knew that our mums were watching it. But when we started to get... <laughs> you get <laughs> that's, that's your crazy. Does your mum still yeah. watch it, yeah? Still watching yeah. and now understand. <laughs> now understand because back in the day, we didn't have a plan. So all of our parents were like, I don't understand what you're trying to do. And we were like, we don't really know either. We're just riding the wave. And I think it is different now. But you just have to stick to being honest and truthful to what you want to do. Yeah. What I actually love, and, and you know, when I do these interviews, you, and you can you can actually decipher the success story. And obviously what we do is we train a lot of people on how to become more successful in their business. And if I decipher it, and I say even just from the short amount of time you've been talking, you settled on that target audience very early. You said, right, we're going to create videos for students who want to understand how to cook. So you've got this audience straight away, and that is what tends to build a community when you can talk to an audience about what they want to hear, and they know they can come back and they can hear more of that. And that's how you actually build that loyalty. So it sounds like you really nailed that early on. A lot of people don't nail that. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm not really sure what I've got to say because they don't really know who they're talking to. You know, how much would you tell the audience? That's something that I've said a lot to people. You really do want to understand who is it that you're trying to have a conversation with. And one of the questions you ask me, because obviously you get this instinctively, how important would you say to the audience that is, Ben, that understanding who your market is going to be before you go out there and start creating content? It's everything. And actually, the, the thing to remember, and we've always put front of mind, is given that our business is based around a friendship, it's a friendship from school, 
we always put those same friendship values into the audience that we have. So it's very important that we understand who our audience are, but you don't really know that unless you ask. And that's what we always say. It's like, it's an open conversation. And that's one thing that social media, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the whole lot, they, that's what it can give you is an open door policy to have a conversation, not to stand there and constantly preach and sell your business. Just have a conversation. And that's what we've been able to do for 12 years is basically ask our audience what they want to see, what's what's front of mind food world for them, what do they care about? Because it's not about what we care about. We consider ourselves to be at the hub of it, but we're not there just to preach. And, and I think that's the difference between the likes of traditional media and TV back in yeah. the day and YouTube was TV was very preachy, was very, here, we're going to tell you, there's this one way to do it, do it this way. Whereas we were very much like, this is our way of doing it but how do you do it? And we can learn together. And we've learned more from our audience than I would say they have from us because it has to be two-way. That's awesome, isn't it? You know, really, really good way of looking at it. Actually, we were having a conversation today, actually, with my marketing team about marketing content. And this is one of the questions we get asked all the time, right, is how do you come up with the right content? How do you bring the right content to an audience? Well, you've got to, I think you just nailed it there. You've got to listen to your audience. You know, however, this is where a lot of people struggle. If they don't know who their audience is, how can they listen to the audience? And how can they create the audience in the first place? So they've got to start off with that. So when you start off the business and you go back all that time, uh, one question I must ask, how many of the group of friends did you start with? How many were friends of yours that you started with? Was it two, just the two of you? Or was there a few more involved? So there are uh, four of us you see on screen now. So Mike, Barry, Jamie, and myself, we were friends from school. Uh, James, who you see on the screen as well, has been with us for eight years or so. Um, it wasn't full-time for all of us at the start. I mean, we, when we started it, it was very much a passion project. Then slowly but surely, two of us started to do it full-time, um, Barry and myself. And at the time, Mike and Jamie still had um, real jobs. And, and we, we, would, we would bounce ideas off them in sort of weekends and evenings. And bit by bit, it grew to a place where we could all jump on board. But we're a team now of 15 or 16 people. But about 25% of that is the original core group and from there it's grown out to like-minded people from the original core group or is everyone still involved everyone's still involved well i think that i think that's really commendable I mean, it's really really commendable because you know and i suppose that's the difference between uniting around a mission and and sort of doing it together because that's a rare thing you know having having a group of friends start a business together and stay together for that period of time you know and how, what would you say i'd be really interested to hear you must have had over the years a few different lumps and bumps or a couple of disagreements you know about things but how have you kind of kept that together would you say what's the secret to that would you say from your opinion the secret in terms of the way we run the business is that the four of us who have been there from the start that you see on screen have very different skill sets um and we kind of are empowered to run that part of the business and we all you know deeply trust each other to nail that part of the business so for example mike looks at the whole of production you know, what that is end to end and, and works with the team very, very closely to deliver that. Whereas Jamie is more kind of comms. So everything from PR to social media to um, account management with some of our sponsorships and stuff like that. So he's just kind of in that comms role. I look after food and, and more increasingly now um, partnerships and strategic partnerships. Uh, and Barry looks at sort of branding and, and food photography and creative design and more of a, a vision and the narrative. And you put all those together there isn't too much overlap, but disagreement is healthy because I think if we all constantly agreed with everything, I think we'd be doing something wrong or something very vanilla. 
I think you have to have a few times where opinions jar, not to the point that you can't resolve them over a pint. And now, as of today, we can do that in a pub. So great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can. As of today, yeah. Probably be a lot of people in the pub tonight, no doubt, no doubt about it. But yeah, oh, no, I think that's really cool because if you look at it, you know, a long, that's actually quite a long period of time in business. You know, it's been 13 years with a group of friends. It's really good that you all stayed together and made that happen and you built that group up. Okay, so you built the following. You said it was a stable journey. What did that stable journey look like? Because a lot of people are trying to break out. Same situation. Now, you, you got in fairly early, which is great. But what's that, that journey upwards been like to get into 2.4 million YouTube subscribers? It's been, you said, fairly stable. But it's been difficult. You know, was there some explosive growth? Was there some things that you did that massively grew? You said you didn't get any viral um, stuff. But, but over, overall, what was that like? Yeah, I think if you, if you look literally at a graph of the last 10 years, it is a, it's a straight line and it has been steady, steady growth. Now, when you drill in and have a look, you realize that there are a couple of things we've done that have probably supercharged that a little bit, and that would be the likes of collaboration. So working with other people who are similar, sometimes, arguably on paper, you'd say competitors, but yeah, nice. not, not in a way that you're working with them in terms of trying to steal audience or... Yeah. Or put them off. You actually just work together because great minds think alike and actually come up with better ideas between you. Yeah. Because we have the luxury of being able to put entertainment and inspiration first and foremost, it's a very natural um, mechanism to work with people and everyone has an interest in food. So we're kind of lucky in that sense. One of the questions there from Anthony was how do you, how do, you do personalized gifts um, online? Well, at the very crux of it, for us, we think about YouTube as what is YouTube. The you part of it is very, very important. It's all about being you and having a personality, not forcing a personality, just letting your personality come across very, very naturally because that's what people warm to because there are dozens and dozens of other people doing exactly the same as you are. But the reason they'll buy from you is because they want to be part of that friendship, we call it, but that, that kind of trust, that authenticity, and they like you. So you've got to find a way of delivering that you and for us, that means that we can collaborate with other people because they are different and they might have the same product, but we have different opinions and different approaches. And that kind of collaboration and audience sharing is really interesting. Massive. I think in today's world, and if you look at you know today's market and today's business world, as maybe even to oppose 10, 15 years ago, it just wasn't like that, you know. But I find that with pretty much everyone that's creating great success, they are working on collaborative marketing and finding ways to work with people and, you know, get themselves out to different audiences. And one of the things that we've, we've talked for a long time, if somebody's already got your group of clients and they've already got them, right, and you can go and work with them and get in front of them, why on earth wouldn't you? And I think that sometimes people's ego or their pride just ruins that, where you could have actually a really, really easy in to working with somebody and getting your message in front of a, a great group of people very, very quickly. So it seems like you've absolutely nailed that. So as we grew it, you said it's a straight line, you know, fairly straight line up, but nice and stable. Collaborative marketing made a big difference to you, of course, as we've mentioned. How have you amended your content over the years? I'd be really um, interested to hear about that maybe as well. Is it, is it been, how, how have you kept it fresh? Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest, when we first started, we wrote the very first cookbook as a chef, there was part of me that was a little bit worried that I would run out of recipes because how long can I keep coming up with new stuff? And that was back in the day when we were just starting, we were writing a cookbook and we hadn't really started the whole social media thing and there wasn't any interaction. So I was naively thinking that I had to do it all and I had to project it all out there. 
the reality is as soon as you start creating content and collaborating is that it's a team effort and you start to bounce ideas around. And I would honestly say that we, well, the best ideas come from our audience. And then they're also the best judges of that. Because sometimes we put stuff out and they just go, oh, not really sure about this. Well, that's fine. We won't do another one. Sometimes we put out stuff that we're not sure about and they love it. And basically (laughs) the community. And that's the luxury of, if you think about TV production, you know, there is one commissioning editor sat at the top of a TV channel who pretty much makes all the final decisions. But we don't have one commissioning editor. We have 2.4 million of them. So we just listen to what they want and then create what they want because they know the food trends before we do. We've had some classic examples where comments are coming in telling us about something and we're going, well, I don't understand what that even is. And we do a little bit of a search and we ask them back and find out. And we find out this trend that's just beginning to take off. And we can create content and get it out there nice and early because we're ahead of the curve. And we're ahead yeah. of the curve because we're listening to our audience and that's the key. Yeah, active listening and, and really listening to them and hearing it from awesome. You know, that's a great, great point. So if you had some funky recipes, how's it actually the different questions? I think it's even more intriguing. How's it impacted you as a chef, you know, having that ability to reach out and receive so many opinions, you know, professionally? How much do you think that's added to you in your career? I think hugely in terms of a broad understanding of a little bit of everything. And because that we're always having, in a publishing world, we're always having to come up with something new and interesting and exciting and relevant. It's very different to a chef perhaps working within a niche, within, you know, very top of their game, a pastry chef working in a Michelin-style restaurant. They practice the same thing time and time and time and time again to get it absolutely perfect. I guess what we do is dip our toe in the water we, we profess we're not experts in anything. We never have been, but we, we're here to like, learn oh, together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Be super humble about it because that's what it's opened my eyes to go. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to enjoy the journey. And that's what with a group of mates, that's all we do is enjoy the journey. I love what you just said. You know, the, the, for the people that are, are clients of mine, they would have heard me talk about perfection a lot and how that perfection really can just be an enemy, especially when it comes to social media and especially when it comes to marketing. If we look past social media and just say marketing as a whole, it's all about testing, you know, and, and if you're a great tester, um, you're going to get great results. But if you're not willing to try anything, if you're not willing to test anything, if you're not willing to fail, you're never going to break through anyway. So you've got to go out there and test those things. And I think that perfection can be a real enemy of testing. And I think once you shift your mindset, you know, from being somebody that wants perfection, because if you want perfection, you're actually really hurting yourself and actually shift your mindset to being someone that tests. That's when you get those breakthroughs, right? And it sounds like you've absolutely, you know, 100% uh, bought into that. And, you know, of course, so, so one of the things we spoke about before we started tonight was obviously building it up and you built it up from uni. And then it comes to a point where, you know what, if this is going to go further, and we're going to get better results when he starts making some money from it. So how's the monetization side of it? You know, how did you start to learn about that and bring it into your game? And so if you tell us maybe just a couple of the different things that you tried um, and some of the things that have been more successful for you, I think that'd be really interesting to the audience. Yeah, I think, I think the key is, and granted, we were very lucky in the sense that in the first couple of years, it wasn't a business, the big strategy. We basically... We were lucky enough to have some initial investment and kind of some mentors in the industry who kind of said, actually, just kind of play with it and see where it takes you. So the important thing for us was not trying to monetize it from day one, actually build a community, because once you've got a community, then there's lots of cool things you can do. And nowadays, 
most of the content we produce has sponsorship and advertising around it. Yeah. So it's still free for the end user. It's still free for people to watch. Our community is still asking for what they want to see, and we're going off and creating it, and we're giving it to them for free. Um, and because of the platforms, um, they sit through a little bit of advertising. So that is one funding model, but that doesn't really work until you have volume and you have an engaged audience who are going to be there to watch it. You can't get much monetization off 100 views. You need 100,000 views or you know a million views. That is where advertising works. But, but the other option is sponsorship. And that's realizing that actually you don't have to have big numbers, but you do need to have a loyal, engaged yeah. community Absolutely. in order to work with sponsors. Yeah. So sponsorship and advertising has been big for you. Yeah, so that sounds awesome. But you're absolutely right. You need that engaged following. You need the people that you can have a, a synergy with to go out there and, and obviously go and get the results, which I think is really, really important. So, so having built the business now, and this was your first business, so straight out of uni, 13 years later, what kind of advice, if you were going to give some tips to business owners, maybe we stick to say three, what would your kind of three tips for business owners be on building their businesses right now, even from a start? Yeah, let's go with a startup business. Somebody's at the beginning looking to kind of grow. What would your three tips be for them? I think one of the biggest things that we've always strived for, is, I mean, we call it the 40-40-20 split, um, which very simply means that of the content, and I'm talking again from a content-driven business, but the content we produce on YouTube and across all the other social platforms as well, we aim for 40% of that content to be aimed at exactly our current audience, what it is they want, what is that demographic, what are they looking for. The other 40% is more kind of taking a step back and looking at bigger trends. Who else out there can we bring on board to enjoy our content and what are they looking for? So you're looking at trending topics, SEO topics, um, uh, seasonal things that might come and go throughout the seasons and create content that is likely to reach a new audience so that you can begin to grow this, this bubble of a community. And the last 20% is got to be something you believe in. You know, sometimes when we get out of bed and we just go, we've got to make this because this is really important to us. No one's asked for it. No one's looking for it, but we think it's important. Um, and that, is, that continued means that even after 13 years, we're still excited to go to work and create more content. And, and for us, that's 40, 40, 20. So keep the community you have really, really engaged. The other 40% go out and find new audience um, yeah. by, by tackling what's trending. And then also make sure that you're not going to sort of drill yourself into the ground by not enjoying the process yourself. So a little bit of selfish. And the people who follow you because of YouTube, they're following you because of you. If you like it, the chances are they will too. Awesome. So that's tip number one. We've got existing clients. We've got existing clients, 40%. Okay, new clients, 40%. And then we've got, you know, your, your ideals or your mission. Um, and before we get into the second tip, you know, what is that 20%? I'm interested in your 20%. Can you give a couple of examples of some of the 20% stuff that you did that you weren't sure if anyone wanted, but you know that you wanted it? And, and why did you want it? What was it that was driving that? Yeah, we, we did some fantastic work. And I think food is becoming more topical than ever before. And I think 10 years ago, we just did it. And it was you know cheap food was good. We were students. And it was all about what's cheap is good. But more recently, um, we have a, a meal packs offer as part of a subscription membership. And it's designed to make midweek cooking really, really simple. And it's about hassle-free and convenience. And it will save you money because it reduces food waste. Somebody reached out to us from a school in Liverpool, actually, and said, last year, right now, during the pandemic, 
they were aware that there are a number of families and parents who are really struggling on very limited budgets and sometimes food bank um, offerings. And he was a fan of Sorted. He used our meal packs app and loved the mechanism of it. And he said, but is there a way of making the meals even cheaper? You know, he found the time to reach out to us and we thought, actually, maybe there's something we can do here. So we set about doing it. And, and weeks later, we had a really sort of best value pack offering there was a fraction of the price proportion that we normally aim for but this was very much like how can we help this tranche of people who increasingly are, are really struggling with food and nobody asked us to do it on mass in terms of the audience and i wouldn't say there was necessarily huge trend for it but this one person reached out and we just thought actually we can make a bit of a difference here and as a result it's rolled out in the last couple of weeks and as of every half term there are kids and parents in this school now cooking along to this best value meal pack and that's made a difference i mean we make a difference every day but we feel like those handful of people for some reason feels more important to us than the tens of thousands cooking from our meal packs every single day because of that connection and we just we just wanted to do it it has made a difference can you give us an example of what one of the cheaper meal packs look like? Like just, uh, you know, a quick bang, bang, bang. <laughs> yeah, uh, really simple. So use of brains a lot. So um, things like couscous, things like polenta, really cheap and cheerful, but you can do some amazing things with it. Um, the use of cured meats, a little bit of meat goes a long way because of its flavor. And then loads of seasonal veg. We've been structuring the meals so that basically if you cook, let's say, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you might use half of butternut squash on Monday, but the other half is used on Wednesday. So nothing goes to waste. And it's it's really important to, to do that. Oh, awesome. Awesome. And you said, I mean, it's another interesting thing. We'll come back to those tips. We're going to get there, but I'm enjoying, you know, hearing. I think you said you've gone pretty much worldwide now. You've got clients all over the place, haven't you? You know, um, yeah. where are you, is it across all cultures as well, which would be really interesting to tonight yeah absolutely i mean and that's the beauty of something like youtube is it's pretty much every single country i think us and uk and canada are kind of big group demographics and then a lot of english-speaking countries but we've got huge engagement in southeast asia where food is so important to every day like, like even more cultural than we think food is like it's yeah. such a part of people's identity i love the food in southeast asia brilliant food as well then they, they cook amazing food you know when i've been to places like uh you know thailand and stuff like that the food's just phenomenal and the amount of effort they put into it as well don't they they love it yeah we don't have to be a foodie you think everyone how many times maybe not in the last year during lockdown but how many times do you socialize around food you, know, you say should we go and grab a coffee should we go for lunch how about dinner somewhere you know people socialize around food even if they're not foodies and, and we do that three times a day breakfast lunch and dinner but somewhere like singapore they structure their day around sort of like five meals a day much smaller snacky bits and that's why it's so important like it's just part of life yeah Awesome. Okay, brilliant stuff. Well, what was tip number two? Let's get into number two. I'm liking that. Love the first one. 40-40-20, which Ben's, uh, Ben just uh, shared with you, which is a great tip. What would you say your second tip for business owners out there would be? So food right now is really, really very serious topic. The world is in trouble. And whether we're looking at food waste, whether we're looking at a choice around veganism or animal rights, and all this, it can be very, very serious. But I think my tip is don't take things too seriously even if they are serious topics and you want to approach them in, and and it might be the usp of the product you're selling it might be important that this sustainability and responsibility is is there but never take yourself too seriously and you know yet we started as students on youtube but 
even now in our mid-30s, sometimes we dress up because why not? It's a bit of fun and we'll, we'll cook a recipe and we'll do fancy dress or we'll look at silly trends and we're not afraid to make fools of ourselves because we enjoy it. As a group of mates, it, it makes us laugh, so hopefully it makes other people laugh. And I think that's really important is that you can take things seriously in a fun way and, yeah. and, and not get too preachy. Well, I think the important thing you just said there was that you enjoy it. You know, you actually enjoy it because I do think you can become a little bit, you know, there is a danger. I mean, especially like, I don't know how you're using TikTok. I haven't actually checked that out. And I might ask you about that in a sec. But there is a danger with things like TikTok where you can become a little bit of a performing, you know, a, a dancing monkey for the audience, right? Where you're just trying to keep up to their tune of everything they want, you know. And a lot of people are then posting videos and i think it's been criticized for that openly where really it's not actually producing much and not getting the message across but it's entertaining but i think that entertainment value is often overlooked but i think if you enjoy doing it then it's a completely different situation do you understand what i mean like if you're doing it to try and if you're if you're doing crazy stuff to try and get likes or trying to get follows that's not necessarily the best business uh, practice but if you enjoy doing it at the same time and it's entertaining your, your audience sort of becomes a win-win doesn't it but you mentioned yeah. don't take things too seriously what, what else would you say what's the benefit to you when you don't take things too seriously what flows from that be really interested to hear i, I think it's authenticity and connection you know we even when we produce our content we will leave bloopers and stupid bits in at the end of the video one, because strategically it helps retention because people stick right to the very end. They don't go, oh, I think I've watched most of what I need to do and off I go. So there's a strategic point to putting them at the end. But more right. importantly, it's not shying away from them. You know, we all make mistakes. We're all human. Sometimes things like TV is too perfect. And what we actually like to do is to keep the mistakes in. Sometimes the mistakes happen throughout the whole video and we see something go wrong but we'd show you how to fix it because that's reality and that's what people at home it will go wrong for you at home sometimes but here's how to fix it and it's kind of not shying away from those mistakes and just being genuine i think it's the authenticity and that forms a connection even if it's silly stuff and behind the scenes and what we get up to and the cameras aren't rolling which is what you might see more of on tiktok or other platforms and instagram lives we've been doing more and more recently from home where you get to see you know Jamie and Barry cooking with their kids. That is real. You know, they are dads. They're part of, you know, that, that, that is real life and people connect to that. And it comes back to that YouTube. If people connect with you, then they're more likely to engage in your content, your products and, and whatever it is you're sort of building a business around. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. You know, also you're, you know, looking at it in that way. Let me ask you this. So when you went out and first did it, okay, because this is what a lot of people really struggle with a lot of people get struggle with it getting started when you went out and first did it were you able to just go out there and naturally just crack on without having any fear or did you feel a bit of fear about being judged did you feel a bit of fear about what the audience would say do you remember back when you were first kicking that off how did you feel about that because i think there's a lot of people that have this genuine fear you know about being judged and have a genuine especially using video when I run our, our trainings, we have a social media webinar that we run regularly. When I run it, you know, one of the people's biggest fear is actually getting on video. And the source of that fear is that they fear being judged by other people, you know. Um, what would you say to that? Did you have that fear, would you say, yourself? Or was that something that you handled? Yeah, I think it's a reality. I think we, again, were very fortunate as a group. We kind of had each other's back. So 
I remember, and again, winding the clock back years and years and years and years and years, when we first started, there would be times when we kind of were on camera and one of us would suddenly start sort of overperforming or trying to trying to be something we weren't. And the other three would look at and go, what? Who are you? You know, this has been so long. Like, stop, yeah. don't, stop being an idiot. Just be yourself. And actually, by being yourself, there'll be people who don't like you, but that's fine. You know, in, in a world of 7 billion people, there's always going to be people who don't warm to you, but that's fine. Now, the scary thing is in the internet and, and lots of anonymity is people can sometimes be quite rude and harsh about that. But you've got to just, in the early days, turn a blind eye to that and just build up a positive community you get to a stage and we have now for many many years where if anybody comments on our videos and says something that they personally don't like which they are entitled to that opinion there's now thousands of people around the world who really do like what we do and they jump on that person's back and say actually yeah you're can. wrong because in context yeah. this is what they do and this is why they've done it and we find the community now are on our side and when you do a great job with other people, they're more than happy to stick up for you on social media. You know, dealing with them haters in the early days, a lot of the, you know, the questions that I'm driving tonight as well is because we've got so many people that are learning how to, this is really like a dream conversation with them, what they're looking to do. And, and I, want, I want to hear it from another voice because I've been through this journey myself. You know, when you're going out there and you start started to get the haters, you know, as you say, you've got a group of mates. Did you have a few laughs about some of the comments? Like if one of the boys got slated, did you kind of have a bit banter about it and stuff? Yeah. But how did you handle it? Was there ever things that got to you a little bit or that was there ever something that shook you a bit that made you want to stop? Or was there nothing that impacted you that bad? Or do you think you kind of pulled yourself out of that together? Yeah, I think nothing that serious, but I think sometimes it was a bit of a wake-up call in the sense that we sometimes realise, and I think it's come to light even more so in the last year or so, is that when you live in a bubble, you don't necessarily think about other opinions. So sometimes we would completely, wholly, genuinely go into something and have an opinion. But we all went to school together, and we all went to school together in Hertfordshire. And that is a very, very small bubble of the world. And sometimes when you put the content out there, and we're being 100% this is how we see the world. Sometimes people go, you do realize there's this other side that you're missing here. And we sort of go, oh, yeah, well, actually, how naive and irresponsible is not to realize that. But that's where the community kind of help us. We go, okay, well, we'll go and look into that and research it. And the next time we bring this topic up, we mention it. There was an example we had a we have a series on our YouTube channel that looks at reviewing kitchen gadgets. And it started off as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke at some really rubbish stuff that you can buy on Amazon for a couple of quid that, you know, why do you need a pineapple corner or an automatic tin opener? Or, you know, these are one-use products that we kind of go, is there really, really a need for it? And we kind of took the mickey out of them a little bit. And then some of the comments said, you do realize that some of these are designed for people with dexterity issues. And suddenly we went, whoa, <laughs> consider that. But now it's yeah. part of the conversation. But only we, we can learn from the audience. So you have to look at the comments and some of the hate is actually going to help shape you into better people. Yeah. So really what you're saying, sometimes people have got a point. But you're talking about sensible people that have got a point, not the crazies that just want to come out there and, you know. There are some crazies too. Yeah. I actually love what you said is that you just turn a blind eye to it. And that is what you have to do is, you know, whenever someone, I actually sometimes laugh because I get quite a bit. Funnily enough on TikTok, 
I think TikTok's actually the worst. How are you how are you doing on TikTok? Are you using TikTok a lot for your business? And obviously you mastered you. Very new. Um, so literally in the last couple of weeks we've started and it's more kind of montage or teasers or bloopers from our main content that we're putting up there. So it has a different purpose. And we started very quietly and slowly and like the TikTok algorithm, you know, one video will get half a million views and you think, why? Why did that one get half a million? Why this one get yeah, it's crazy. So, but it's, you know, it's, it's a great platform. We've, uh, you know, we, we, we've, took, we've only been using it since uh, January, or I've been using it personally since January, and built, a de- you know, a decent following off the back of it. But actually, more importantly, got a ton of clients out of it, a ton of new clients come to TikTok. So it's actually a really good audience, but you do get some real funny kind of trends and different comments and stuff on there. But I like, like what you're saying in terms of uh, turn a blind eye to it for, for sure. That's great advice. So you said you've got a subscriber opportunity for people as well. Do you want to Tell us a bit about that so people that are watching can understand how they could actually, you know, first of all, well, the first thing I'll be doing after this ends is I'll be jumping over to YouTube and, and seeing if you can teach me a bit of cooking. I'm not a very, I'm, I'm, I'm not a very good cook, Ben, so am I going to handle that okay, do you think? Yeah, that's, I mean, that is really the sentiment of what we do is that I, I'm a chef and I'm a trained chef, but the beauty of everything we do on camera is that chefs are weird, right? We, we think in slightly weird ways. Like when we talk about certain dishes and using leftovers here and there we, we think in strange ways our entire channel is aimed at normal people because chefs are not normal i'll put my hand up we are not a normal species but that's the point it's kind of well, collectively. i will say the chef i worked very when i was very young i don't think i've ever told you i never ever mentioned this but when i was very young when i was only 15 I went to work in a, a restaurant, right? And this restaurant is actually a really lovely restaurant up the road called the Blue Strawberry. It's still a nice restaurant to this day. And some of the chefs, they were crazy. Now, one thing chefs uh, can be quite well known for is their temper. But Ben, I can't imagine you having a temper, buddy. Have you got a, bit, have you got a chef's temper or not? No, I, I just, no, I, life's too short to get annoyed at people. Like, I go for the more than I'm not, I'm not disappointed. You know, I'm not upset. I'm not annoyed. I'm just disappointed. Go for that angle. <laughs> so you don't have that famous chef's temper, no? Okay, cool. I don't know whether we got to tip number three. I suppose we better we better cover that off before, and then we'll talk about how people can sort of get to hear more from you, Ben. What would you say your third tip would be, buddy? It's almost like a bit of a, bit of a pun around the food, but I think the best recipe we've ever written, and this is based on literally thousands and thousands, is our recipe for humble pie. And that's realizing that you will never, ever have all the answers and you will never, ever be the best at anything. Um, so instead, accept that and actually learn from others. And I think that's really important. As soon as you go out there and you're big and you're brash and you're trying to be too ballsy, that's when the, uh, the trolls will start, keyboard warriors will come for you because they want to knock you off the pedestal. The reason we don't get much hatred is we often go in there with, this we think is really cool. It really interests us. Let us tell you about it and see what you think. Well, no one can get annoyed at that because we're not saying this is world's best and we are amazing because we found it and we're bringing to you, aren't we special? Actually, just take a slice of humble pie and just realize that the world is full of amazing people and collectively our community will always know more than we ever can dream of. So, so kind of accept that up front and actually just join the conversation rather than preach. Um, and I think that's that's probably number three. I love it. I love the way you applied it to learning as well. 
which is kind of like being coachable and actually understanding that, you know, you can learn from others. And I think it's a big thing that impacts people. If you're not open and you're not open to ideas and you're open to other people's opinions, then that really can hold you back in a big way. So I see that being so, so prevalent in so many areas, right? And people actually respond really well to, to, to people being humble. They really do respond well to it. Not that you do it for that reason, but people do respond to it in, in, a, in a really good way because, you know what, because I'll tell you the truth, there's not a lot of people that are really successful that are really humble. And I think that, you know, I've been through that myself where, where I had a, in one of my businesses, I, I, had a, I had a nice fall from grace before I bounced back. And I think that makes you humble, right? So you do get these ups and downs along the way. Yeah. And you, you're never you're never perfect. So I actually love that tip. I think it's really, really, really good advice. I think it's given some really, really good advice. I must ask you as well is, you know, you've had to learn business along this journey, right? Because you're in college, you're, sorry, in uni, you're a chef and you go and do this stuff with social media and you build this business up, you know, and you've mentioned some of the business lessons, which really, I will say that everything you said, has been very personality-based, which I, I really like. I think that's awesome. What about sort of business guidance and business strategy? How much have you had to go and learn to really push this on? You said you've had some good mentors. Have you learned a lot of that from mentors? Are you a big book reader? Are you a big podcast listener? What are some of the things you've done to develop yourself as a business person? Yeah, I think all of those things you mentioned, definitely. But I think one of the things I would say is surround yourself with people who are better than you. This comes back to the humble pie thing. But if you always want to be sat at the top and looking down at people, then you'll never grow. So we surround ourselves with great people. And I think over the years, thinking about some of the tasks that we're not as good at, we kind of bring people in to do it better than we ever could so that we can focus on the bits we are quite good at. Um, and when, when I say that, I mean, perhaps the, the legals, the contracts, the finance, like we can do it. We did it in the early days ourselves, but very quickly we realized somebody else could do it twice as well in half the time. So yeah. maybe we should bring in people who are better than us, that kind of idea. And then when it comes to the mentor, I think the guy, Ray Taylor, who's been with us from the very start, he always says about a zigzag approach and that's People will look at that straight line and, and see a huge success, but what they don't see is all the zigzagging to get there. And yeah. we always have this strategy of three or six month zigzags, which is kind of like, let's gather as a group, go and do an amazing offsite and work out where we are, look at what's happened, consider what we're going to charge at for the next three or six months and make and plan a strategy for six months. And then we're all going to go away and work you know, in our silos, but with great communication between us. And we're just going to drive the business for six months. Then we're going to come back and we're going to reassess. And by doing that, you have these lots of littles that zigzags because you can't get it all right. But you can still run 100 miles an hour and getting it a little bit wrong because you're going to readjust. And then, whereas like you said before, if you wait until it's 100% perfect, you never get out the stocks. You're always stuck. So just constantly run at things and keep reevaluating. And these kind of advice has come from people who've been mentoring you surround yourself with people who are better than yourself and with experience yeah absolutely i think some great advice there tell us a bit about the, the subscriber that you you were telling me about before we jumped on i think the audience would probably love to know and you know certainly i would too yeah so this was on the basis that i think on on youtube there was a, a worry that you could spend your entire time chasing what you think the world wants. And this was coming back to the 4040. We knew we had a huge audience who would tell us what they wanted. So we wanted to find a way of creating it for them. And that therefore became a subscription model. So rather than relying on advertising or sponsorship 
and having to take on the agendas of whoever is sponsoring you, sponsoring you to, to go down their, their key messaging. We just wanted to create the best content for our audience as per them telling us. So that we set up a subscription model and a membership and a club. And the point of it really is to provide the tools. So we always say that YouTube is kind of the entertainment, the inspiration. It's there to lift spirits and to share and inspire. But actually, if you really want to change your foodie life for the better, then come on board to the club because it's primarily two apps, a cookbook app and a meal packs app. And that will help you live a better foodie life by doing all the planning for you and taking the stress out of all the difficult decisions whilst continuing to inspire you. So that's that's a simple membership and for £5 a month, you get access to all of that exclusive content. All right, well, I'll, uh, I'll go and sign up then. Sounds good to me, buddy. Sounds good. Well, look, you, you know, you've been an awesome guest. I think it's been some some fantastic advice and guidance there for the audience. So I want to say a big thank you to coming on. For everyone watching, whether you've watched live, that's awesome. Hope, I hope you've enjoyed everything that we've been through tonight. Had some really, really good advice from Ben. If you're listening on the podcast now, whether it's iTunes or Spotify, uh, make sure you go over to subscribe and give us a, a five-star review. That'd be super appreciated. And I just want to say a big thank you to Ben for being a fabulous guest. And make sure you go over and you check out Sorted Food, you know, on YouTube. Is YouTube the best place for people to get in contact with you, Ben, or to go and look at what you're doing? Yeah, whichever platform you like, we are the same everywhere. Sorted Food. Sorted Food. So brilliant stuff. Okay, Ben, thank you. You've been amazing. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think you got some great advice there. If you've just come on now and you're only just caught on to what we're saying, maybe go back to the beginning and watch this one again because I think there's some fabulous value that can be um, added from what Ben's had to say and you've been a fabulous guest. So thank you very much. Hey everybody, Adam here and I hope you loved today's episode. Hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favor could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is, perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive Academy days and have lunch with me on the day, meeting hundreds of my clients. So if you want that to be you, then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on iTunes. Please, of course, do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes. Peace and love, and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.